because of this ignorance, God winked at. But now commandeth all men everywhere to repent, because he hath appointed a day in the which he will judge the world in righteousness by that man whom he hath ordained, whereof he hath given assurance unto all men, in that he hath raised him from the dead. And when they heard of the resurrection of the dead, some mocked, and others said, We will hear thee again of this matter. Now keep your Bible open there, and let's pray. Eternal Father, we do thank you again for your word. We thank you, Lord, for your presence. We thank you for your spirit. We thank you for your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you for his sacrifice of himself. We thank you for his precious blood that was shed. And we thank you, Lord, that those who are in him, those of us who have come to saving faith and a knowledge of him, then, Father, we thank you that we're saved and secure. We pray tonight, Lord, if there are those who are watching now, live or later, that, Lord, if they are not saved, that they would hear of their need of repentance, their need of salvation. May they come and be redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. Bless your people as we hear again of what Christ has done for us. Lord, we glory in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ and in nothing else. So glorify your Son, we ask it, for Jesus' name's sake. Amen. The Apostle Paul is in Athens. And in Athens, he's waiting for some friends. And as he's waiting for some friends, we find that he comes across in verse 23 of Acts chapter 17 to the altar. Pardon me, Acts 17, 23, verse 17. He, he comes to the altar of the inscription to the unknown God. Acts chapter 17, verse 23, pardon me. To the unknown God. And notice here, as he's been looking around here, in verse 16, it says, Now, while Paul waited for them in Athens, his spirit was stirred in him when he saw the city wholly given to idolatry. Therefore disputed he in the synagogues with the Jews and with the devout persons, and in the market daily with them that met him. And then certain philosophers of the Epicureans and of the Stoics encountered him. And some said, what will this babbler say? Others, some he seemeth to be a setter forth of strange gods. And he preached unto them Jesus and the resurrection. So here he's looking around seeing all of these idols and all of these statues and all of these so-called gods that are being worshipped. And we're told that his spirit was stirred in him. Paul's spirit was agitated at what he saw. And Paul's spirit was, if I can call it, aggravated at what he was hearing. And so being aggravated and agitated, it means his spirit was annoyed at the idolatry that was happening around him. He went to the synagogues and so out in the marketplaces. So everywhere he went, he was speaking of the Lord Jesus Christ, his death, his burial, and his resurrection. And some of them says, what will this babbler say? It gives the idea of a bird who picks up food that's been scattered or dropped upon the ground. You'd see birds on the road and they pick some and 
or maybe in a park and they pick something and fly away. That's the idea of what will this babbler say. He seems to have been putting things together we have never heard of. Who is this Jesus? One that would die on a cross. How is this some sort of salvation or redemption? How can an Israelite believe that? Now notice this. He said, they're saying, what will this babbler say? And some says he seemed to be a setter forth of strange gods because he preached unto them Jesus and the resurrection. So Paul here in verse 23 sees the altar to the unknown God. And the thing about this is, is this really means it was the altar to the unknown God in case they had forgotten another God and he got angry with them. The whole plethora and pantheon of gods. And, and so the idea was they made one just in case. They could leave that God, as it were, at the altar and walk away and live how they pleased and do what they want to do, live how they like. And then come back to an altar such as this and the others. And what they would say was, you know, we're here to appease you. And brothers and sisters and friends, uh, you see, our God is the living God, the one true living God. Yahweh is the one true living God. And he's not a God which many still today think you can do. Come to an altar, either leave a gift or buy at an altar or light a candle or come and, and, and say a rosary or say a prayer or, or maybe go and, and visit a, a confessional booth then go out. And live how you like. Nor is it like in some even Protestant denominations where you can come in and, and you speak to a, a minister or, a, or some a pastor and they'll tell you, you're all right and God loves you and do how you please and live how you like and do what you want. And, and our God is not like that because you can't leave God there as they did to the altar of the unknown God. The problem is, those people who think they can and live like that, they do not know God, so they're coming to their own altar of the unknown God. Ulster, where we live in Northern Ireland here, Ulster is full. It is full of people who are living and coming as they like and coming, as it were, to the altar of the unknown God. They don't realize that God is the living God. We can't leave them at home when we go to our work, just as some people want the Christian politicians to do. We can't leave him at home and go and do as we please and live how we like. We can't leave him in the church building and then go and be what we want outside the church building. We can't do that for he is the living God and the saved of God, the redeemed of the Lord, the blood-washed and the blood-bought son and daughter, child of the living God, know that they are the temple of the living God. And so he lives within each and every one of us. So no matter where you are, you can't leave him at home. He goes with you. He bring him with you. When we gather together, he comes with us. He is in us. When we are on our own, he is with us. He is in us. When we are trying to live in sin, he should be, we should have the conviction of that. Why? Because he's in us. And if, he, if we're not convicted, we need to look at the reason then why. Maybe we don't know him as we ought, as we say, as we declare. Paul was agitated 
and aggravated at what he saw and what he heard. And how long is it from the church, the blood-washed church, how long has it been, brother, sister? Speak, I spoke to myself when I've been writing this. I spoke to myself when I've been praying about this. I've spoke to myself when I've been pondering over this. How long has it been from I, from you, from we, have been agitated at what is happening and aggravated in our spirit of what is going on in the land? Not only in Ulster, United Kingdom, but everywhere else. Notice here, Paul preached Jesus in the midst of it all. What is the answer for Ulster? Jesus. What is the answer for the United Kingdom? Jesus. What is the answer for Ireland? Jesus. What is the answer for where you live? The Lord Jesus Christ, Son of the living God. He is the answer that we repent of our sin, turn back to God, and he will bless us. And he will bless us. And people are talking about uh, a revival, revival because of all that's happening with the COVID-19 and the way things are and whether it's a, a full-blown dis- pandemic or whether it isn't. And listen, I don't want to get into that tonight. Here's what I'm telling you. Whenever we are saved, we should be agitated and aggravated about anything that goes against the Word of God. You and I should be protestants. That we should be protesting no matter who it is or where it's from, what angle or what avenue, we should be protesting when it is against the word of God. Have you been aggravated and agitated recently in what God has shown you and how man is and what our nations are like, what our countries are like, what our society is like? Is it not time, brothers and sisters, that we started to feel the urgency and the agitation of this. Paul was stirred in his spirit. I wonder where we were before this lockup. I wonder where we were in our hearts when church was a something we could take or leave. I wonder where we were in our hearts when it was, well, the word of God is not as important as it used to be and to some people, where it wasn't to be obeyed the way it was always obeyed before. I wonder where we were then and I wonder where we are now than what we're thinking now. Has this woken us up? Has it shaken us up? Has it quickened us up? And are we ready to wake up out of our sleep? Or maybe we're just happy to sit at home. Maybe we're happy to sit at house. Maybe we're happy to to watch online. Brothers and sisters, this is not church online. We are the church. This building is not church We are the church, and we need to be stirred up and aggravated and agitated as blood-washed children of God because of the Word of God and the state of our land. Where were we when there was all sorts of sin going on? Where were we, church, when there was all sorts of depravity going on? Where were we whenever the the Christian, uh, Christian life, Christian society, was being diminished by government, was being diminished even in church circles, when all manner of sin was being accepted, gay marriage was being accepted by the church. Abortion was not being protested against. 
Where were we, church? And I ask you now, are we ready now? For if God was to lift this off us and God was to set us forth again, are we ready? Are you ready, brother? Are you ready, sister, to be called an Elijah in the nation, an Elijah in the land? Are you ready to stand up and speak against these things, protest against these things, and proclaim the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ and live by the word of God. Have we realized how we need one another? Have we realized how we must stand together in unity? For there the Lord commands the blessing. Are you ready? Are you stirred? Or are you settled in your seat? And notice this, brother, notice this, sister. Paul preached Jesus in the resurrection. This is the word. Paul could have went and gave them a, a mealy mouth gospel. Paul could have went and told them so much not to offend them. But Paul didn't do that. Paul went and he gave them the whole bale of hay. He gave them the whole nine yards. And Paul says, I want to tell you about the one who died for us. I want to tell you about the one who shed his blood. I want to tell you about the one who paid our redemption. I want to tell you who is the ransom for our sins. I want to tell you the one who went all the way to the cross and hung between heaven and earth and gave his life freely and took the punishment and the wrath of God that was ours that went to the grave and was raised again the third day. Yes, he was raised. And now they're all starting to stand back. Whoa, hold on a second. You're saying a man was raised from the dead. Brothers and sisters, I believe with all my heart that Christ rose again on the third day. I believe with all my heart that the Lord Jesus Christ was raised by his Father, was raised by God on the third day. I believe this same Jesus was ascended into glory is our great high priest who is seated at the right hand of God and he is coming back again soon. Are you stirred in your spirit about our people, about our lands, about our society, about our nation? Are you stirred in your spirit or will it be back to what people say we're looking to go back to normal? When will church be normal? Brothers and sisters, I want us to gather together. I want us all to be in worship together. I want us to be corporately worshiping together. I want us to be under the word together, to fellowship together. I want that more than anything. But I don't want us to go back to normal. I don't want it to be normal. I want us to be on fire for Christ. I want us to be lifting this word and saying, Lord, it's with great gratitude and thanksgiving that we come to you with this Bible, this book in our hands, your own inspired divine word, and we thank you for it. And we want to live in it and live by it, and we want to take it and run with it. Brothers and sisters, I don't want to go back to normal. I don't want to go back to a new normal. I want God to do something new and different in each and every one of us. Brothers and sisters, I pray I hope that this is all of us that will be stirred and ready. Oh, when things were taken away from us. Oh, this is terrible. There is no church. And now, because there's no church, it's terrible. I wish it was there. But online now is settling our hearts. Brothers and sisters, listen. Let's get into the place that we seek the face of God and ask him to set our hearts on fire again. Notice Paul's heart was stirred.
Now, when we go to our reading this evening, my, my scripture verse, if you want, uh, mainly is in verse 30. And the times of this ignorance, God went down. But now commandeth all men everywhere to repent. But now commandeth all men everywhere to repent. Notice, it's not the preacher said it. It's not the pastor said it. It's not the Christian said it. It's the word of God said it. God commandeth all men everywhere to repent. Listen, people are talking about this so-called uprising of the church and revival. Listen, I want that more as much as the next man, maybe more than most men. I want that. But I can tell you, compared to what the church was, it needs to repent first. It needs to repent of its ways. It needs to repent of its lethargy. It needs to repent of its deadness. It needs to repent of all the things it's put in the place of God. It needs to repent. Every man and woman, we need to be on our knees crying unto God and saying, Lord, have mercy on us and then have mercy on the ungodly. But now God commandeth all men everywhere to repent. God commands repentance. Notice here, God commandeth all men everywhere. All men everywhere. That means if there's men somewhere among the all men who don't repent, then they are in rebellion against God. That men are in rebellion, men and women. When I say men, I mean it in a generic sense of both sexes, two sexes, men and women. But God commandeth all men everywhere to repent. Repent and repentance. Repent has become a taboo word. It's become a taboo word in the world. How dare you say we need to repent? It's become a taboo word, like a a swear word, a six-letter swear word in the church. It gets the hackles up, you see. It gets the hackles up of people. How dare you tell me to repent? Friend, I'm not telling you to repent. The word of God is saying we need to repent. All men everywhere. But I repented at the cross, yes, and for the way we have allowed things to go and for the things we didn't do that we should have and the things that we did do that we shouldn't and the things of the way we've allowed our hearts to grow cold and without love and affection for the Lord and the commandments that we have broken and the way we have allowed things just to, to, to come into the church Friend, we need to repent. We need to repent. Notice from the pulpit and the preaching, repentance has even become a scarce word to a swear word. The word repent, matanaoeo. Matanaoeo means to think differently. God is commanding all men everywhere to think differently. They were thinking of their idols. They were thinking of other so-called gods that were not gods. They were, they were thinking of self. They were thinking of pleasure. They were thinking of comfort. They were thinking of it all. And how, oh, how was our nation and our people, how was the church thinking of all of these things, putting all other sorts of gods and thoughts and ideologies all before the Lord and before his, his work and his will and his word? 
and how we were, we were doing this so much in the church that, uh, that God was, Christ was no longer our first love, but away down the list somewhere if he was not even buried among all other loves before him. Notice here, think differently. Think differently. God commandeth all men everywhere to repent, to think differently, to have a change of mind leading to a change of heart, leading to a change of life. Change of mind, change of heart, change of life. Friend, if you're not saved, this 180 degree turn, your back's toward God and you're looking at all of these things and suddenly the thought is coming that there is a God and it's a change of mind. It's starting to change and then it's a change of heart that leads us in a change of life. Listen, if there's no change of life, there's no change of heart. And if there's no change of heart, there's been no change of mind. And if there's been no change of mind, then there's been no Christ. There's been no conviction there's been no regeneration of the Holy Ghost. Brothers and sisters, we need this word repent, metanoeo. It gives the idea to have a moral compunction, a moral compunction. Let me give you an idea what that means. The word morals means something that relates to our character and conduct. Something that relates to our character and conduct. That which makes us capable of knowing right and wrong. That's our morals. That which makes us capable of knowing right and wrong. Compunction means uneasiness of conscience to have remorse. So what this means is on our mind and in our conscience, we have the ability, the capability of, in our character and our conduct to be changed, to know what is right and what is wrong. Uh, simply because there's an uneasiness of conscience and remorse comes that we must change and we turn our ways completely. But God now commandeth all men everywhere to repent. Our conscience, our morals, our mindset, our thinking, our soul. That is, that is the thing which separates us. That's the thing which separates us. Separates us and elevates us from the animal kingdom. People are told we are evolved from animals, evolved from monkeys or whatever else. We're, we're told these things, and so it's the mindset. Is there any wonder... That if we're told we evolve like it, we start to act like it. We let ourselves as human beings be depraved and act in ways of depravity. Notice this in Genesis chapter 2 and in verse 7. It says, And the Lord God formed man. The word formed man means he distressed the clay. He distressed the clay. He molded and he purposed, determined he squeezed into shape. That's the idea of it. He formed man. Sometimes God has to squeeze us again. Has to determine himself upon us. And sometimes God has to be, has to be harder with us to, to, be, to put his purpose in us. He distressed or he formed man of the dust of the ground and he breathed in his nostrils the breath of life and man, Adam man, that is, 
Adam man, became a living soul, a nefesh, with a conscience, with an intelligence, with an awareness of God. Man is moral, morally now accountable to God. Adam has fall to death in the garden, and now we have in the times of Moses the Ten Commandments. Listen, if if we have no law in the land, and everyone done that which was right in his own eyes, as Israel did in later years in the Bible, and if we did every if we were to do everything that was right in our own eyes, and we had no laws of our land, then surely it would be chaos, absolute chaos. And notice here, spiritually speaking as well, living our lives before God. If we were to do that, which was right in our own eyes, as happened before time in the word of God, as Israel had done before, if we were to do the same again, then how would it be? What would it be like? What would our nation be like? What would our churches be like? The ecclesia of God be like? There has to be a moral guideline. You might think one thing is terrible where another thinks it isn't. You might think one thing is horrific where another thinks it isn't. You might think one thing is cruel where another thinks it isn't. And so on. So who is right and who is wrong? And this is what's happening where now people are being debased right down. Notice here the Ten Commandments, for example. The moral law of God. From Commandments 1 to 4 is between, it's vertical. It goes between God and man. Man and God. The first four. And then from five to ten, the next six is between man and fellow man. It's between man and fellow man. So we have the two tables, if you want, the two testaments of the law. Notice here in Matthew chapter 22. Matthew chapter 22. And let your eye run down just to a few verses here. Verse 34. Matthew twenty two thirty four. But when the Pharisees had heard that he had put the Sadducees to silence, they were gathered together. That is, the Lord Jesus put them to silence. Verse 35. Then one of them, which was a lawyer, asked him a question, tempting him and saying, Master, which is the great commandment in the law? Jesus said unto him, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, and with all thy mind. This is the first and great commandment. The second is like unto it, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. In other words, here is the first four, love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, and with all thy mind. That's the first. And then the second tablet, as it were, of the ten commandments, the next six are taken up with one saying, the second is like unto it, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. So if we can love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, every other one down to four will come into being. All of them will. But the next one is then, if we love our neighbors the way we should do, then we're going to find that the next six are fulfilled. For example, the Ten Commandments, we're just editing them down for time's sake. Thou shalt have no other gods before me is the first one. Thou shalt not make unto thee any graven image. And here in Athens, is it any wonder Paul's heart, his spirit is stirred within him. He's aggravated and agitated at what he's seeing and hearing. 
And here he said, the Lord says, you'll have no other graven image before me. The image, first of all, you see forms in the mind. I think God is. I think God is like this. I think God acts like that. I don't believe God is like the other. And so that image in our mind is then portrayed into statues or in ways and in other gods, so-called gods. And what happens is we have formed the image. We have broken the commandment. And then, not only that, but God now has become the one who is in servitude. And the person has become the God, for they have formed the God. They have formed their God. So the Lord says, I shall not make unto thee any graven image. Thirdly, thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. And the idea is, when you take my name, Exodus chapter 19, Israel married and became the wife of Yahweh. And he said through Moses, the officiator of the wedding, of the marriage, and he says, Moses, tell my people, will you accept? Will you do this? Will you do that? And Moses went and they said, all these things will we do. Paraphrasing for time's sake. And he says, thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. When Israel, you become my wife, you take my name on you, live up to my name, he says. Live up to my name, just like a wife takes her husband's name. Live up to my name. Don't bring any shame to my name, he means. Fourthly, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. These are the ones between God and man. Fifth, honor thy father and thy mother. Sixth, thou shalt not kill. And seventh, thou shalt not commit adultery. Notice here in Matthew chapter 5, Matthew 5 verse 21. It's Matthew 5 and verse 21, it says, The Lord Jesus said to the Pharisees, And ye have heard that it was said by them of old time, Thou shalt not kill. But whoso shall kill shall be in danger of the judgment. But I say unto you that whosoever is angry with his brother without a cause shall be in danger of the judgment. Jesus wasn't doing away with the law. He kept the law. He fulfilled the law. But he wasn't doing away with the law. In fact, he was amplifying the law. Notice uh, number seven of the commandments. I shall not commit adultery. Matthew chapter five and verse 27. You have heard that it was said by them of old time, thou shalt not commit adultery. But I say unto you that whosoever looketh on a woman to lust after hath committed adultery with her already in his heart. Jesus wasn't doing away with the law. He fulfilled it. He kept the law. Here he was amplifying it. Here's what he was saying, friend. Now listen, here's what he was saying. He was saying, you're even worse than what you think or believe you are. And whenever we think that we're bad, and even if when people tell us we're bad, don't be angry at them because we're even worse than they thought of us. We were even worse than what they thought. And God's seen it, and God says you're even worse than you thought you ever were. The law was amplified, but doesn't it show you the great grace that's in our Lord Jesus Christ? Doesn't it show you that he took all of this? That he took it all and he, he bore the penalty in Calvary and he shed his blood to cleanse us from all of this? That his grace every day abounds over our sin, that is, abounds over not only what we do. Listen, sin is the root. Sins are the fruit. Sin is the root. People think, well, I'll not be able to enter the kingdom of God because of 
drinking and smoking or I'm addicted to river and all those things are things that you'll not inherit the kingdom of God. You're right. Not smoking, but other things is mentioned. And you may be right in those things, but that's not the root. The root was where Adam's uh, death came, became our death, where his law-breaking became our law-breaking. The codified law came through Moses to show us we were breaking the law, to show us we were sinners. Jesus came and says, you're even worse than you ever thought you were, but I'm here to pay your debt. I'm here to pay your penalty. And I'll tell you, friend, there's no Savior like him. There's no Savior like him. When Christ died on the cross, it wasn't just a little story. Jesus died for our sins. There we go. We have heard it again. Brothers and sisters and friends, Jesus died for you. You were even worse than you could ever paint yourself to be in your worst time. And so was I. And Jesus knew it all. And he paid it all. He did it all. And now he's cleansed us from it all. Notice here in the... Ten commandments, thou shalt not steal. Thou shalt not bear false witness or lie. Thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's house or wife. And that would take a long time to go through those. But if we're all guilty and without Christ, without his blood washing, without trusting in him, without repentance, a change of mind about ourselves. Yes, we are that sinner. Yes, we are in need of a savior. And yes, it's only Christ who died for us and was raised again the third day who can forgive us. We change our minds about the thinking because the Holy Ghost is working on you. And we turn to God and we come to him for forgiveness. Friend, Jesus said in John 14 and 15, if you love me, keep my commandments. The commandments are moral and having a conscience of these things. The rights and the wrongs is that which makes us different and separate and higher than the animal world or the animal kingdom. For example, an animal has no conscience of God. An animal has no morals. An animal has no conscience of holiness or God's name. An animal has no conscience when it kills. And, and listen, you can see how men and women are starting to act like animals because they don't either. That's the fall of Adam. That's the fall of Adam. And that's the men of, of wickedness who are now telling us and debasing mankind that we came and we, we came from some sort of mud puddle to become some sort of fish, to become some sort of, of monkey. Debasing the creation of God, how God made you to be a king on the earth, as it were. And here we find they have no conscience of God. Listen, an old dog, I don't want to be crude, but would fornicate with another dog on the street with people walking past. An old dog would defecate and urinate on the street right beside you and would think nothing about it because it's no conscience, it's no morals. And I'll tell you, the world is coming like that and the sexual immorality, the fornicating, the drunkenness and the, the drug addiction is, is, is rife. The pornography were where women are, are used as, as uh, these sexual objects for, for man's depraved pleasure. And, now they're, and they are as bad as the men now, uh, 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 reveling in it. And, and you see, and it's in front for people to, 
watch who watched those things. And, and the thing about it, this is, is it is debasing the human being. And where was our spirit stirred, your spirit stirred, and agitated or aggravated when we seen these things? Where were we when we saw people brought to court for not baking a cake with a gay slogan on it? Where were we all? Where were we when a, a, an aged pastor with cancer and diabetes was taken to a courtroom for saying that Islam was off the devil. Where were, where were everyone else? Where was everyone? Where was the spirit agitated? Where are we whenever the preacher is now arrested and taken off the street and our civil liberties and our rights are, are being taken off us every single day, being eroded? Where is the agitation? But rather the Christian now turns around and says, you're too hard. You're bitter and difficult. Notice, you need to repent, change our minds and think differently. We need to have a moral compunction. May the word of God relate to our character and conduct tonight. I'm going to come to a close and I want to thank you for coming on this evening and listening. Paul comes across people called Epicureans who believed in a spiritual afterlife, but also taught that the pleasure or the chief end of man was his hedonism, his own pleasure. That's what they taught. There's many teaching that. There's many unsaved and they say, oh, such and such a, a, a relative who died a, a living in their sin all their life and rejecting Christ and rejecting even the thought of God. Well, sure, they're up with the angels in heaven now. And they lived a hedonistic, almost die life. See, that's a lie from the devil. And Paul says, no. God commandeth all men everywhere to repent. Then there was the Stoics that are mentioned. They believed on the absolute bravery of a man and a woman. They believed in the supremacy of the rationale over the emotional. The rationale over the emotional, they held to the self-sufficiency of the person. I don't need God. I am my own God. I determine my own destiny, they would say. My rationale over that emotional stuff. And listen, they believed in suicide or euthanasia. It's happening in our nation today. It's happening around the world tonight. Listen, they would say, my body, my choice. My body, my choice. God has said, change your mind. Think differently. Think according to the hearing of his word. He is commanding all men everywhere to repent. The word Commandeth here is a word parangelo, and it means to transmit a message from one to another, to announce, to declare, to charge. Paul was saying, God is transmitting a message to you. All men everywhere repent. God is charging in his message all men everywhere to repent.
God is declaring his message to all men everywhere to repent. Let me give you a brief example. Mark chapter 8 and verse 6, Jesus feeds a multitude. It says, he commanded the people to sit down on the ground and he took seven loaves and gave thanks. He commanded, he transmitted a message. You want fed? You want blessed? You want me to help? I command you to sit down. It's exactly the same meaning. And the people sat down and he blessed them. It's that the obedience of the command that the blessing comes. And notice here, he commanded them and he came alongside and transmitted the message of them to them of the kingdom of God. Their obedience, their obedience to the command, to the word of God brought blessing. Notice, once they were obedient to the command, the hand of God moved and he fed them. Another one in Acts chapter 1 and verse 4, it says, And being assembled together with them, commanded them that they should not depart from Jerusalem, but wait for the promise of the Father. The Lord Jesus commanded the disciples to go and stay in Jerusalem, wait for the promise of the Father. What was the promise of the Father? The outpouring of the Holy Ghost. The outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And the Lord Jesus Christ said, Go, I command you to wait there. Wait there till you receive the promise of the Father. And listen, when they listened to the word that was being transmitted, when they obeyed the commandment, it meant he came alongside them to transmit this message and their obedience brought the blessing. Their obedience moved the Spirit. Those who were being fed, their obedience moved the hand of God and blessing to feed them. Now the, the disciples heard the word, the transmitted word, and their obedience to the commandment of the word, to the word of God moved the Holy Ghost to come on them. Oh, we must be obedient to the command of the Lord, the moving of God, but God commandeth all men everywhere to repent. Think differently. Christ has come alongside you, whether it's through this ministry. We're glad to be able to bring you the message online. So thankful for the man at the back, Andrew, who puts all the hard work and effort into it. So glad the Lord has brought someone like that alongside, along with others to help us, but in here for this ministry. I thank the Lord for that. But I can tell you, friend, brother, sister, through this, God has come alongside. Maybe unsaved and says, repent. Want my blessing? Want my spirit? And repent. Notice here, Paul says, God commandeth all men everywhere to repent. Because he hath appointed a day in the which he will judge the world in righteousness by that man whom he hath ordained. He'll judge the world in righteousness. Here's what it means. God is righteous. God is just. But those who do not repent, those who do not change their mind and follow the Lord, when Christ returns, he's the man who's going to judge in righteousness. Know what it means? It means he'll be justified. He'll not be an unjust judge. He will be justified in every single thing he meets out because he has already come alongside to give you the command. And there'll be those who have refused him, laughed at his, scorned at him. In Romans 2 and 4, Paul says, or, do it, or despisest thou, notice, or despisest thou the riches of his goodness, 
the forbearance and long-suffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leadeth thee to repentance. Notice here, or despise us. Paul saying, do you despise the riches of God's goodness or the forbearance or long-suffering? He says, are you despised? Now, the word despise here, by the way, is a word, kataphroneo, and it means to look down upon. It means to look down upon with disdain. We would have the idea today was to look down your nose. To look down your nose at someone or something. And Paul is saying here, are you despising or looking down your nose at the riches of his goodness? Friend, the riches of his goodness is what you've heard tonight, that we're worse than we ever thought, yet he still came, loved us, and died for us. Shed his blood for us to redeem us. And there are those who despise that, look down their nose at that, the riches of his goodness, his forbearance and long-suffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leads us to repentance. Notice the Lord Jesus says, his first cry really is, the time is fulfilled, Mark 1 and 15. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent ye and believe the gospel. You've heard it tonight. Repent ye and believe the gospel. Peter, after the outpouring of the Holy Spirit that we have spoke on the promise of the Father. Acts 2 and 38. He says, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. What is the gift of the Holy Ghost? The gift of the Holy Ghost is known as the grand blessing of the new covenant. The grand blessing of the new covenant. So I finish with the Puritan Thomas Watson. Listen to what he says. Listen to what he says. By delay of repentance, sin strengthens, and the heart hardens. The longer ice freezeth, the harder it is to be broken. I'll say it one more time, and that's me closed. By delay of repentance, sin strengthens, and the heart hardens. The longer ice freezeth, the harder it is to be broken. You might say, I've heard this message. I know I'm a sinner. I need a savior. Christ is the only savior. Help me. You can contact us through our, our website or even on our Facebook page. And we can help you. We will. But you can call upon the name of the Lord and be saved right where you are. Full repentance, Lord. I've heard your word. Lord, I'll come to you. And I ask you to forgive me of my sin. Cleanse me from all unrighteousness. Fill me with your spirit. Save me for time and eternity. Help me. Help me to walk with you. Friend, this isn't just a little prayer. This isn't just some formula. There is no formula. It's coming in repentance and crying to the name of the Lord. And you shall be saved. And walk with him. Maybe that has been you. You could let us know. We'll be praying for you. God bless you. May God bless our land. May God bless our lands. May God keep you. Let us pray. Father, take your word to pray. Glorify your son. Glorify your name. Lord, bring conviction of sin and give repentance unto life. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you, everyone.